Hi everyone, I'm adding a quick pre-show update in May of 2023 to let everyone know that while yes, this episode was from back in October of 2019, but most of the episode's content is still not only relevant, especially the background on the development of the GEM project, but even more interesting now as we near the final long-awaited opening of this massive new museum here in Egypt. The beginning of the episode talks about an expected opening in late 2020. But obviously, in October of 2019, I and the rest of the world had no clue that COVID was about to hit us just six months later and derail everything worldwide, including the completion and opening of the Grand Egyptian Museum. But I decided to update instead of just replace this episode with a newer one, because the background and history of the Grand Egyptian Museum project that I dove into in this episode is quite evergreen and is still as accurate and relevant today as it was back then. So enjoy a few minutes of blissful predictions from our optimistic pre-COVID world at the beginning, followed by some really interesting background about the Grand Egyptian Museum. And of course, just look for later episodes for more current news and updates about the gym, or just go to grandegyptianmuseum.org for the latest at any time. Okay, here's the original episode. Hey everybody, I'm back with another packed show for you here on the Egypt Travel Podcast. If you don't know who I am, this must be your first episode. Maybe you're just starting your travel planning for an upcoming trip to Egypt, or maybe you're dreaming of going there one day and want to learn more because you're fascinated by Egypt. Well, join the club because Egypt is a place that fascinates literally everyone on the planet. Everyone wants to visit Egypt at least once in their life. And most who visit there realize it's a place that you can never see and experience all in one trip. That's why second time and even third time visits to Egypt are becoming more and more common here. I can show you places in this country that will blow your mind and which I guarantee you've never heard of, even if you've been here before and already spent a week or two here. Egypt is totally worth more than one visit in a lifetime of travel. And that's especially going to be the case after the new Grand Egyptian Museum finally opens up. And that is what we are dedicating this entire episode to, the new gem of Egypt, or G-E-M, the Grand Egyptian Museum. If this isn't your first episode, then a huge Welcome back. I'm so thrilled that I'm able to use this medium to share my more than 15 years of knowledge and experience with Egypt with you and create an objective, unbiased, brutally honest resource for you to help you in planning travel to and around Egypt or just to learn more about the country and its history and its incredible sites and monuments and people. Whatever you're here for, I'm glad that I can do this podcast and provide this information for all of you. I am, of course, John, your host for the Egypt Travel Podcast, and all right, go ahead and admit it, some of you, your favorite expert on travel to and around Egypt and to the wider Middle East, am I right? No, seriously, my travel company, Egypt Elite, is the number one Western-run travel company and tour operator in Egypt, and I have the best job in the world, getting to show so many people around this incredible country that I have called home many times, and which I still call a second home because I'm back there so much with clients personally leading tours and working. Now, before we get into talking all about the new Grand Egyptian Museum, including my best predictions for when it will actually finally open and what you can expect to find there once it does open, 
I have two huge announcements exclusive to the Egypt Travel Podcast audience that I'm going to share with you first because I can't wait to the end of the episode to reveal them. First, unfortunately, like most Egyptian government websites, the official government website for the Grand Egyptian Museum is just really bad. It's ugly. It's hard to navigate. It's not updated. It's just bad. But there needs to be a home on the interwebs for the gym that's as beautiful and grand as this new museum is already turning out to be even pre-completion. So I have created and launched just that. A brand new, sleek, aesthetically pleasing home on the web for information about the Grand Egyptian Museum. Including not only background and fun facts about the new museum, but also frequently updated news items about the gym and a sign-up form for getting on the list to be the first to get updated about Intel on the opening announcement, whenever that may be. So here is the new privately run website for Grand Egyptian Museum information and updates until it opens. www.grandegyptianmuseum.org It's as simple as that. grandegyptianmuseum.org we were lucky to get that domain, and we may work with the museum in the future to turn the domain and site over to them, or at least develop a cooperative agreement with them to run the website on their behalf as the official website of the museum closer to the grand opening. But for now, this is a privately run informational site about the Grand Egyptian Museum and not in any way affiliated with the museum itself right now or with the Egyptian government. So do go check out grandegyptianmuseum.org and be sure to get on the email list there to be the first to hear about public opening intel and updates as soon as we get them and before they're announced to the general media and the general public. Now also, on a related note, and a nearly unbelievable one at that, for anyone who's going to Egypt in the next few months, and this episode is coming out in late October of 2019, so if you're going to Egypt anytime in November or December or even early January of 2020, my staff in Egypt and I have a connection to get you a private tour of the new Grand Egyptian Museum while it's still under construction. To see inside of it now with the artifacts that have already been moved there. And you can even get a sneak peek inside of some of the new state-of-the-art conservation labs in there that are actively restoring many of King Tut's treasures that have never been seen by the public before, but which will be on public display in the gym once it finally opens. But this is a truly incredible opportunity that I'm really excited to be able to offer visitors to Egypt in the next two or three months, depending on how long they still allow these VIP visits before they have to shut them down to start the final stage of construction inside. And when I say private visits or tours, I don't mean you're going to be joining a group or just that your existing private guide takes you there and walks you around. The clients I've already been able to get into the gym for this behind-the-scenes tour have personally been guided around by a senior museum director, and it was just them alone in the gym in hard hats with the construction crews and the restoration experts while they were busy working on the restorations out of the public eye. The Egyptian Ministry of Antiquities has never allowed this type of access before at any other site, especially the gym, but yours truly is able to make it happen for you if you'll be there soon and you can reach out to me and let me know you want to do it. I'll need at least four or five days notice and a copy of your passport, and then we'll have to deposit the fee for the tour directly into the ministry's account. It doesn't go to us, it goes to the ministry. So if you'll be in Egypt soon and you think you might be interested, definitely hit me up at john at egypttravelblog.com or john at egyptelite.com, and I can tell you more and get you hooked up to visit the gym right now before it opens. The clients I've had take me up on this recently came away from it saying that it was 100% worth it. 
They said they were even trying to explain to Egyptians back at their hotel in downtown Cairo that they had just privately toured the Grand Egyptian Museum. And everyone was like, no, 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 that's not possible. You must mean you just toured the Egyptian Museum downtown. And they kept telling them, no, 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 the Grand Egyptian Museum out in Giza, the new one. And everyone kept saying, no, it's impossible to do that. So they had to actually pull out their phones and show them pictures of themselves on site in hard hats inside of the new gym. And everyone was just like, oh my God, that's impossible. How did you do that? Well, here's how. I have got the hookup to get you in if you want to visit. You'll be one of only a small handful of VIPs and visiting heads of state and ambassadors and other dignitaries who were able to get in and privately tour the gym and the conservation labs while they were still under construction and before they shut down even private access like this in order to start the absolute final phase of construction soon. And speaking of the absolute final phase of construction, that would imply that it's nearly finished and might be open to the public soon, right? Well, not exactly. Not at all, actually, but I'll talk more about that later and give you my latest intel and predictions regarding the ever-shifting expected opening of the gym. But first, let me back up a little bit and give you some background on this monumental project. When the Grand Egyptian Museum finally opens, it will be the largest archaeological museum in the world, and simultaneously the largest museum in the world dedicated to the history and culture of a single civilization. As I've said before, the Egyptian civilization is unique among all the world civilizations that ever existed because it's the only one that has a full-fledged field of academia entirely dedicated to it. In other words, it's the only civilization or culture that has its own ology, as in Egyptology. There's no Romeology or Greeceology or Chinaology. There are Roman and Greek and China studies programs within academic departments at some universities, but the Egyptian civilization is the only one that was so long-lasting and so unique and that left so much physical evidence that an entire standalone academic field, Egyptology, has grown out of the study of this civilization. So it's only fitting that a civilization of this magnitude and impact needs not only a grand museum, but an actual full-fledged institution dedicated to its celebration and preservation. And that's precisely what the Grand Egyptian Museum aims to be and will be. The official announcement for the Grand Egyptian Museum came in 2002, but the planning for the construction of a new museum to replace the aging and ill-equipped, pink-hued late 19th century museum building downtown actually began way back in 1992. Egypt still had a lot of troubles to contend with in the 90s decade, and of course, 2001 changed everything for everyone, but especially for the economies of tourism-dependent Middle Eastern countries, of which Egypt was number one. The Egyptian economy was truly devastated by September 11th, and so were millions of Egyptian families whose livelihoods relied on maintaining and increasing tourism every year. Pre-9-11, several American air carriers flew directly to Cairo from the U.S., including I know Delta and I believe American Airlines too. I'm reaching pretty far back into memory on that one, but I know Delta did for sure, and I think American might have had a route that they took over from TWA, if I remember correctly. But demand for travel to the Middle East evaporated post-9-11 and didn't really recover for nearly a decade. But then, of course, a decade after 9-11, 2001, is 2011 which is when the Arab Spring broke out in the Middle East. Delta had actually resumed service to Cairo a few years prior to that, 
And I know Continental had announced direct service from their hub in Newark, but all of that went away with the outbreak of the Arab Spring in early 2011. By the way, I'm using the cessation of U.S. air carrier flights to Egypt as an example or a symptom of the main issue for Egypt, which was the evisceration of its tourism industry and the sharp drop in demand for travel there. But this unfortunate turn of events had many, many other impacts as well, including the halting of progress in moving forward the Grand Egyptian Museum project yet again. After the Arab Spring of 2011, not only did tourism drop, but Egypt's president of 30 years at the time was ousted. So that obviously turned everything on its head with respect to building the gym since the project is very much controlled at every level by the government. Despite all these setbacks, some progress did take place during the hard and slow years. See, Egypt's been around for 5,000 years and they sort of have a longer term perspective on things. Things happen, they blow over and recover. They happen again, but Egypt always comes back. The pyramids aren't going anywhere and neither are the tens of thousands of treasures that have been dug up out of the ground there and are still being unearthed right now. Back in January of 2002, less than four months after 9-11, the Egyptian government decided to go ahead anyway with the announcement for the International Architectural Competition for the gym, knowing that tourism would eventually bounce back. They received over 1,500 entries from 80 different countries, and the following year they announced that the design from the architectural firm of Hennigan Pang from Ireland had won. Over the next six years, final plans got approved and pre-construction started with site clearing and prep, then legit construction on the buildings got underway. At the same time, tourism did start to grow again in Egypt, and the government's huge bet on investing in moving forward with their plans for the gym, even during the lean years, had actually started paying off. As I mentioned earlier, even the American air carriers started resuming direct service to Cairo from the U.S., which is always one of the hardest markets to market Middle Eastern tourism to. So that makes U.S. statistics a good indicator for Egypt's image recovery around the world, in my opinion. In 2008 and 2009, the numbers of tourists were climbing significantly again for Egypt. And in 2010, the number of visitors to Egypt topped 14.7 million, almost 15 million in that single year alone. That's well over a million people a month streaming into Egypt to visit the sites and monuments and museums, which no one could ever even fathom 100 years ago when the current Egyptian museum was built. But it was around this time when we first got word of the first expected opening date for the Grand Egyptian Museum, which back then was set at a future date of 2013. 2010 was a good year for Egypt. I remember being there in December of 2010. Then I flew over to Jordan and Dubai and then Tel Aviv for New Year's that year. Then I flew back to Egypt in January of 2011 to meet with some vehicle suppliers I was considering working with that year for, for my tour company there in, in Egypt. But... When I was there in early January of 2011, which was only a few weeks before the outbreak of the Egyptian Revolution during the Arab Spring, everything seemed perfectly normal even then, and the government seemed as stable as it has excuse me as it had ever been for 30 years. There was absolutely zero indication that a revolution was about to happen. But just about two weeks after I left on that last trip. A few protests started growing into bigger and bigger gatherings and demonstrations, and then thousands turned into hundreds of thousands, and then over two million people out in the street calling for the overthrow of the dictatorship. And then it was just like, boom, 17 days later, Hosni Mubarak, Egypt's 
super, super entrenched ruler of 30 years, he was just gone. If I'm being perfectly honest, even after the outbreak of the protests and demonstrations on January 25th of 2011, I never thought that the outcome would be the Egyptian people ousting the longtime dictator. I mean, that just did not happen. His control over the country was just too strong and too long-term for anyone to fathom anything like that happening. But by God, the Egyptians, they were just not going to let you know, a flimsy announcement of reforms or a reshuffling of the cabinet suffice this time. It was truly, truly historic and remarkable. They were just not going to let up, despite the incredible heavy-handedness and brutality of some of the security forces at times. And what's really interesting about Egypt is the difference in the domestic security forces like the National Police on the one hand and the Egyptian army on the other hand. The army didn't really participate in trying to suppress demonstrators. It was the Interior Ministry and their police and state security service that were out there sometimes shooting and beating protesters during the revolution, but the army largely stayed out of it and only finally stepped in to begin protecting the Egyptian people from their own security services and eventually organizing the ouster and the imprisonment of President Mubarak himself. And you know what was remarkable and funny too was how quickly so many government officials and ministers quickly switched sides from supporting the government for so long to supporting the revolution once it became inevitable that the Egyptian people were done with the old regime and that they better start swimming with the current or they're going to drown. People thought it was so unsafe during the revolution there and during the ensuing times But honestly, there was only a brief period of a few weeks when anarchy broke out after the collapse of the government and its security services. But after that short period, the Egyptian people really stepped up to do a remarkable job of community policing their own neighborhoods until the new government organized and a new security establishment could be formed. And that was really only in central Cairo, by the way. You had all these naive media people parachuting into Egypt at the time, I remember, and diving right into the middle of places that didn't have law enforcement reestablished at the time. And they were really unfairly and I would say unethically portraying that as all of Egypt, even all of Cairo, when in fact it was pretty much just in the center of this one city in Egypt, in Cairo. And they kept playing stock footage of that period over and over and over again, for what seemed like two years almost, as if it was still ongoing that whole time. You know, I remember being back there well after the initial anarchy period in the center of Cairo had passed, and order had been restored, but the revolution was still going on. And I could literally turn on CNN on the TV in my hotel room and see scenes of rioting and burning and fighting in central Cairo on the screen, and then I would literally turn my head and look out the window at the same moment, be looking at the exact same square that they were showing footage of on TV, and it was just a normal scene of cars going by and pedestrians walking around, people getting food at kiosks, people going to work, people selling things on the street in Egypt, just being back to normal. And you know, that's really when I started to lose faith in Western media's coverage of the Middle East, because they were so quick to parachute in irresponsibly and even get themselves into trouble irresponsibly. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Anderson Cooper. And their advertising-driven coverage would destroy the Egyptian economy for months and months, even years, with their looped stock footage. Then they would utterly just fail in their responsibility to report back on the quick end of these temporary situations and the restoration of order and the return of normalcy to normalcy in places like Egypt. 
All right, anyway, sorry for the long sidetrack there on the Egyptian Revolution, but I just thought I'd share a little bit about my own personal experience with it, being an American on the ground there when parts of it were going on and seeing the horribly distorted media coverage of it on international TV channels while literally looking out my window at the same scenes and seeing the exact opposite sometimes. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying bad stuff didn't happen. I've been in situations there where I've been right in front of vehicles being set on fire and I've had tear gas fill a restaurant where I was trying to enjoy some Italian food one night because the windows were open to let in the Nile breeze and there were some clashes with police going on right out in front of the restaurant. But I've also literally walked out in the middle of crowds that CNN said were crazy fanatical rioting mobs and I had many participants in those demonstrations come up to me immediately and ask if they could escort me to wherever I was going by walking through those crowds. This even happened with the later demonstrations of the Salafis in Egypt, which were like the super crazy religious fundamentalists. You know, they used to say that the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt wanted to take the country back to the 1600s, but the Salafis wanted to take the country back to the 600s. But when I would need to cross through an area where they were having a demonstration, the Salafis, as soon as they realized I was foreign from my look, they would immediately come up to me and ask if they could help me get wherever I was going. And they were super nice and super respectful of foreigners. Now, that may have been different had I come across as a local that didn't fit in there. But the different competing factions within Egypt only really harbor animosity towards each other sometimes, not towards foreigners. And that's an important point to understand in order to analyze and contextualize media that you see about the Middle East and about Egypt. And it's also an important point that you can really only get from independent media because talking about this stuff doesn't drive clicks or doesn't sell advertising. The reality on the ground in places like this is too nuanced sometimes for major media. So I'm giving you a big dose of it here just from my own personal experience in Egypt. You can take it or leave it, but I think you all trust me and know me well enough by now to know that I'm just trying to give you the reality from having been there at the time myself. Okay, end rant. <laughs> all right, my original purpose in bringing up the Egyptian revolution in the beginning, well, I think that was the longest sidebar slash rant I've ever done on here, was just to make the point that when tourism was booming in 2010 and the government had finally announced plans to open the Grand Egyptian Museum in 2013, that was before the outbreak of the revolution. So obviously those plans got shelved when the Arab Spring happened and when it came to Egypt. And now progress on the gym did actually halt for a while during this whole period, but Egypt got back to normal pretty quickly and construction got back underway pretty quickly as well on the gym. Just a year after the revolution broke out, so we're talking January of 2012 now, the Egyptian government awarded the contract for the third phase of construction then, and progress got back underway. But it was clear that the previously announced 2013 opening date wouldn't be happening now. So in 2015, a new opening date was announced of May of 2018. Now, if I remember correctly, I think I remember talking about this opening date in an earlier episode or two of the Egypt Travel Podcast, but I expressed a lot of skepticism that the government would be able to meet that deadline. Then we got word that the previously announced public opening date would instead be a soft opening with the museum fully opening later in 2018 or 2019. But if you'll also remember, I really cautioned everyone about relying on this announcement too heavily. And I especially advised against making travel plans around any announced, expected, hard, or soft opening date. And sure enough, 2018 came and went with no opening at all. By the end of that year, the government announced that the museum wouldn't be fully finished until 2022. 
But the government then changed course and said that it wanted the museum finished and opened in 2020 instead of 2022. So this is the current opening time frame that everyone is talking about and pushing out now, 2020. But here's the thing about that opening target. I'm sure something is going to open now in 2020 because the government there has changed the date so much recently and they've really started staking their reputation on a 2020 opening or at least a 2020 grand opening celebration and ceremony. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if the full museum didn't actually open then and instead this soft opening concept that they floated several times is actually what happens in 2020, with more sections of the new museum being finished and opened up over the subsequent year or two. That's just my best guess for now, based on all of the information I'm seeing and hearing and past precedent, but the government would never actually say that if that's going to be the case. The official line is that 2020 is still the target year for the grand opening, but it's significant that they haven't committed to a date or even to a month in 2020 yet. This leads me to believe that it's going to be late 2020, and I would bet they're leaving open the possibility that it'll be even in the last month or two, maybe even late December of that year. And as I said, this may just be the grand opening ceremony, and maybe something like, I don't know, the start of selling a very limited number of tickets to certain groups or the public to be able to say that it has officially opened to the public in calendar year 2020. But it may not actually be the whole building that's open. We just don't know. And honestly, I don't even think that the Egyptian government knows yet. I think they're just doing the best they can to try to rush and get the construction finished, get the exhibit rooms prepared, get the artifacts cleaned and restored, displays designed, explanation text drafted, etc., etc., etc. And I think they've been focused for so long on finishing the actual gym building itself that this other stuff for the interior may not have even been started yet or may not be very far along yet. But I also think that when the building is ready to be used, they're going to do all they can to rush to get the interior features in place as quickly as possible, even working around the clock to be able to at least hold a grand opening ceremony before the last day of calendar year 2020. So this brings up a question that I've started to get asked a lot lately by email. If you had been planning to go sometime in early or mid-2020 to Egypt, should you hold off and not go yet and plan the trip for the last quarter of the year or in early 2021 so that you can get to see the new gym after it opens? As you can imagine, based on everything I've just said above, this is a really tough question for me to answer, either generally or in individual cases. But if you've emailed me about this, you know I've tried to give you my best advice possible in my response, and that has been a little nuanced at times, I know. But here's the bottom line that I can give to everyone based on everything we currently know. If I were in your shoes, I would absolutely not plan my trip around any assumed or expected opening date or month or time frame for the new gym. If you want to go now, go. If you have plans already to go in earlier mid-2020, don't delay them. I know a lot of people who relied on the official announcements about the expected opening in 2018 who were really disappointed that they didn't just go when they had planned a trip or when it was the best timing for them to go in the six months or year before that previously expected opening date fiasco. To get even more specific and resourceful and helpful for you, 
There are a total of seven reasons that I can think of so far why I would advise you to continue with travel planning to Egypt without regard to the gym's expected or supposed opening date. And here they are. Reason one is because most of the same treasures, more than you'll have time to see anyway, are already on display in the old museum downtown. So you'd really just be delaying just to see the new gym building, which is certainly an architectural marvel in and of itself. And there will certainly be new contents in the new museum because it's a much bigger facility and it can hold more. But you'd never have time to see even the thousands of artifacts in the current museum in one visit, much less the tens of thousands in the new one. Reason two is because the old museum is actually a really unique experience that you'll never be able to have again once it closes and the gym opens. You may have heard me talk in previous episodes about how many artifacts in the current Egyptian museum are just laid out on tables and on the floor, like huge sarcophagi and blocks from temple and tomb walls and enormous statues of pharaohs. They're just arranged one after the other in long rows on the floor right in front of you in the current museum. You can seriously reach out and touch them and see the grooves of the hieroglyphic carvings as up close and personal as you want. And many of the much more valuable treasures are only a thin layer of glass away from your hands and face right now. You can lean in and really see them up close, and you're not going to be able to do this when the new museum opens. One great thing about the new museum is that it will much more carefully encase and protect these ancient treasures and artifacts. But the downside for many visitors to only the new museum is that it's going to be a totally different and more distant experience for you. This is the last year or year and a half that the current museum is open and will be the last time you'll ever be able to get as close and personal with Egypt's ancient history as you can right now in the current museum. So that's another reason to go ahead and come visit the old museum while it's still open. Reason three is that the opening date for the new museum may change again. And if you plan your trip for October or November or even December of 2020, or who knows, maybe even early 2021, you may be disappointed like those folks were in 2018 that didn't heed the advice and delayed their trips to the end of that year only to see even the delayed soft opening scrapped at the last minute in December of that year. Reason four relates to infrastructure and hotels. The old and current museum is downtown in the center of central Cairo, but the pyramids in the new museum are located 45 minutes west out on the edge of Giza where the Sahara Desert starts. The government is going to need to do some major road and infrastructure improvements to handle the volume of visitors that are going to surge into that area, including those just staying out there and not even coming downtown. There are only about three decent major hotels out there in Giza currently, and many more are going to have to be built to accommodate the estimated 5 million visitors annually that are expected to visit the gym in the first year after it opens. And I can tell you from being out in that area a lot, even this month, work on the supporting infrastructure out in Giza, we're talking traffic improvements, road widenings, and new hotels especially, hasn't even really started yet. It'll still be a few years before all of that is done. And I honestly think that's what the government had in mind when they originally said 2022 was a more realistic timeline for the gym. The very end of 2020 may see the building officially open with a grand ceremony and lots of publicity and press and dignitaries visiting. But that'll very likely just be the building itself and not the surrounding and supporting infrastructure needed to smoothly accommodate millions of expected visitors per year. 
Reason five is that when the gym finally does first open, it's going to be absolutely flooded with hordes of package holiday tourists, especially those from Eastern Europe and East Asia who tend to come in large, unruly tour groups and crowd out everything at the sites and museums and monuments in the first few months after new stuff opens. Reason six is that when the new Grand Egyptian Museum does finally open, it, and Egypt generally, is probably going to get a lot more expensive to visit. I have always thought that Egypt's sites and monuments and museums are severely underpriced, considering what they are and their historical and global significance. For example, as long as I can remember, the pyramids compound has cost about 10 US dollars to enter. Now, the pyramids are literally the most famous historical monuments in the entire world. It's the only one of the seven wonders of the ancient world still standing, and Egypt only charges 10 measly dollars to go see it. Now, Jordan, on the other hand, charges 70 US dollars to enter the site to see Petra. Now, Petra is amazing and totally worth it, don't get me wrong. But if Petra is worth $70 to see, then surely the pyramids are worth at least the same, and more realistically. But don't worry, there's no talk at all of jacking up the prices for the sites and monuments in Egypt that high. Petra is all Jordan has on that level. So they have to make all their money off of that one site, all their tourist money anyway. Egypt has dozens and dozens and dozens of top-tier sites like that, and hundreds of other sites that most tourists never even know exist. But the government has already told us that they're increasing the prices at sites and monuments and museums every November for the next few years. And I would expect the opening price for tickets to the gym to be at least double what the current museum charges, if not triple. And when it opens, because there will still be too little hotel inventory for the first year or few, expect public hotel room rates to go up significantly too right before the gym opens. Okay, the seventh and final reason I have to give everyone right now for not waiting to visit Egypt or taking the risk to try to plan around when the gym might finally open is that when it does finally open and open fully with all the necessary infrastructure around it to make a visit totally pleasant and smooth, it will be a great reason to go back to Egypt again in the future to see it. I can't tell you how many people I've worked with over the years who thought Egypt would be a one-time thing for them. And then they get there and they realize there's just so much more that they want to see and explore. And they start thinking about a future date when they can visit again. Also, when the new Sphinx International Airport opens, it's going to be just 20 minutes west of the new museum out in Giza, which is the complete opposite side of Cairo as the current airport. But it's going to make it a whole lot easier to take a quick and easy flight over to Giza from other nearby countries like Greece and Jordan and Turkey, etc. If you're visiting one of those countries in the future and you want to tack on even just a one day or one night visit back to Egypt to see the gym as an add-on to one of those trips without needing to go through the trouble of flying into the old airport, staying downtown, and doing a whole nother week-long stay. So it'll be much easier to pop back into Egypt again to see the gem in the coming years because of this new, much more convenient airport that's opening out west in Giza. And if Egypt enamored you as it does nearly everyone that comes and visits, then you can make it a highlight of your second visit a few years later to come see the gem and maybe even consider bringing a few other friends or family members to show them their first time Egypt experience at the same time. 
So there you have it. My long promised and your long awaited update on the Grand Egyptian Museum and the Egyptian government's progress towards getting it finished and open. I'll confess to you guys that one of the reasons I was holding off on finishing this episode is because I had a trip to Egypt planned for mid-October of this year, this month, and I was working on getting an interview with the director of the gym for the podcast. But after the news broke about the major new discovery in Luxor of those 30 new mummies that were just found intact there, nearly all of the Egyptian Antiquity Service had to rush down to Luxor for the unveiling and the public announcement while I was there in Egypt. If you hadn't heard about that amazing new discovery yet, by the way, there's an article up about it on EgyptTravelBlog.com with photos from the unearthing and the opening of the coffins with the mummies for the first time in 3,000 years. This is the biggest discovery of new mummies in Egypt in over a century, and it just happened like a couple of weeks ago, so it's really, really important. Go check out the blog article if you're interested on EgyptTravelBlog.com. I am working on rescheduling that interview with a gym official for the podcast for a future trip to Egypt and a future date, and we'll air that episode shortly after it happens. I did, however, manage to do two more interviews with two really fascinating people in Egypt on this last trip, both of whose work I really, really admire and want to share with you all here. So be on the lookout for the Egypt Travel Podcast's first two interview episodes coming out with those guests very, very soon. And finally, I know this has been a long and meaty episode, so let me just remind you again about the announcements I made way back in the beginning of this episode. If you're going to Egypt anytime in late 2019 or even January of 2020, and you want me to hook you up with a VIP private behind-the-scenes tour of the mid-construction Grand Egyptian Museum complex and get you a sneak peek inside of its conservation labs while restoration works on King Tut's artifacts are still going on, let me know. I have a hookup at the gym and we can get you in even now and make that happen. People still don't believe it's possible, but I think my last clients that I got into the gym a few weeks ago will let me post their pictures on the blog. So I'll try to get those up there pronto with their permission on egypttravelblog.com and show you how unique and rare of an experience and opportunity this is while it lasts. And finally, remember that I have launched a new home on the web for information and updates about the Grand Egyptian Museum at grandegyptianmuseum.org, where you can also go get on the email list to be the first to hear about the opening announcement updates. Oh, and one more thing, don't forget about our ongoing fundraiser for the Blind Girl School in Egypt. You can find out more about that and contribute at egypttravelblog.com slash light and hope. And a huge thank you to those who have already contributed to that fundraising campaign. You know, helping these disabled young girls in Egypt and their school there really means a lot to me and to all of those that I work with on the ground in Egypt. And having you all be a part of helping us help them truly, truly means the world to me. So egypttravelblog.com slash light and hope if you want to chip in 10 or 20 or 40 bucks for that. And please consider it, okay? Really. And for those left listening, thank you so much for sticking with me. I truly, truly love doing this for all of you. And I encourage you to reach out to me if you want any help at all in planning travel to Egypt. Me and my trusted team there are more than happy to help in any way you would like. And there we have it. Another episode down of the Egypt Travel Podcast. We'll see you on the next one. Masalama. salama.